first of all, you're an Esther. First of all, let me apologize right off the bat in case I revert to my teacher-isms during the class hour. If you don't know, I teach public school grades four, five, and six only. So a lot of what I say is, you know, uh, voices off. I'll say that maybe 10 times during a, a class. Voices off. So it'll be a blessing if I don't have to say that. It'll be a blessing if I don't have to say, sit down. Which is always followed by, sit down. Which is always followed by, sit down. Because the first time, they don't hear it. The second time, they may realize that adults talking. The third time, they may process what he's actually saying. Oh, you're talking to me. Sit down. Okay, I got it. All right. Or my favorite is, look here. And it has to be followed by the finger snaps. It's almost like magic, you know, look here. Of course, this year it's been, it's been because of coronavirus, I've had to add to my lexicon of, you know, with my mask on, since we have to wear masks all day, uh, my latest, my, for this year, it's don't even make me take this mask off, because you do not want to see the face behind this mask. So that's my ultimate for this year. But I'll, it'll be a blessing if I don't have to, I'm, Sure, I won't have to use any of those today. All right, so we are in the book of Esther, and Jason said we are talking about, um, and I have to get used to learning using his, ah, there we go, his slides. So we're talking about providence, but before we even get to providence, we're talking about God's sovereignty. Now, if, 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 if I had to talk about anything bigger than the sovereignty of God, I don't know what it would be it's other than the sovereignty of God in 30 minutes. Okay. Well, basically, if, I, if you boil it down to a, into the nutshell, the sovereignty of God is all that is in this book and then everything else that God has ever done or thought or said that is not in this book. So there you go. That's God's sovereignty. But I think we can narrow it down even a little bit more. Um, seeing how God's sovereignty uh, is in the book of Esther, how it applies to Esther, how it applies to us. I think there's a way we can kind of uh, work with that. Um, so let's, before we even do that, let's pray. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this church that you started here and that you're continuing to keep going in your providence and how you're working. And Lord, thank you for your word and how you reveal yourself to us, please. Meet with us this morning. Help us to, to learn and to apply to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the word sovereignty never really appears in the Bible. You won't, you won't find that in the Bible. Uh, a lot of things we know we, we apply to God that the, the actual word is not in there. But surely we can apply that word. So let me, let's go over, first of all, a definition of what is sovereign. Sovereign means supreme in power, highest in authority, possessing supreme dominion. Okay, supreme, the highest there is, nothing greater, nothing stronger, nothing wiser than God. We do see the word reign in that word sovereign, which means to rule. And uh, Psalm 93, Psalm 97, both start with that phrase, the Lord reigneth. And the best definition I ever heard for the, for the word reigneth came from uh, my smartphone. Go figure. I was trying to, when I first got a smartphone, I was trying to type that verse to somebody, the Lord reigneth. And of course, I was not used to autocorrect at that point. And it kept correcting the word reigneth. You know, it put R-A-I-N or da-da-da-da-da. And I kept typing it in, da-da-da. And it just came back, refixing it all the time. And finally, the phone, in, I don't know, ready to blow up or desperation, it said, no match 
found. When you apply that to God's sovereignty, there is no match to God. Right? There's, no, there's nothing greater. There's nothing stronger. There's nothing wiser. So the, the phone actually was smarter than I was, and it got it, got it right. Um, but then we can, we want to look at how God's sovereignty is the big picture. Hello. There it is. The big picture. So God's sovereignty is the big picture. If you take the sum of the Bible from eternity past, what's not written in the Bible, God, we know God's eternal. We go from creation to life. God created life. God sustaining life, created this world to sustain life. Uh, then, of course, man messed it up. We have the redemptive plan for fallen man. This is the Bible's the record of that. We're going to have the return of Jesus eventually. He's going to set up his kingdom. We're going to have the new heavens. We're going to have the new earth. We're going to have new Jerusalem. We're going to have eternity. That's the sovereign big picture of God already that, that obviously is present, working. But then there is the, the providence of God. God's providence is the working out of the details of the big picture. That's, that's what we witness. That's what we see has happened. Uh, it's how God orchestrates his sovereignty, how he puts everything into place, how he interconnects everything. Somebody said it's the hand of God and the glove of history. History, God's hand in it, working and moving. This is where Romans 8.29 would fit in. All things work together for good. Okay, so we apply that with God's providence. Um, it's the details of how God unfolded the plan of salvation, right? So we, we read that. That's what we read in the Bible, how God took one man, Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then 12 tribes, and then the nation of Israel, and David, and Solomon, and you have the United Kingdom. You have a divided kingdom. You have captivity. You have Israel uh, brought back for a little bit. Uh, you have 400 years of silence where nothing seems to be happening. Then you have Jesus Christ, 33 years. You have the cross. You have the tomb. And you have uh, the third day. And God unfolds his whole big picture of the salvation of man through these details of the providence of God. I think what would help us to, to uh, get the, the idea of sovereignty and providence together, if, if we could think of it this way, and I, I really operate by the KISS principle. Okay, I, you know, I'm just looking to see what the audience is, what your minds are at right now, okay? Uh, yes, keep it simple. Of course, public school we're programmed not to say stupid, so we'll say silly. Keep it simple, super, silly, all right? If we could think of God's sovereignty and providence as the ultimate camera lens, the ultimate camera lens, God's sovereignty, that would be the, the wide-angle lens. The wide-angle lens, and I'm not much of a photographer, but I know there is such a thing, a wide-angle lens. God's providence is the zoom lens, and it happens at the same time. It's both lenses at the same time. It's not just one or the other. We would think, okay, you got your phone, you, you just expand it out, or you zoom it in, and it's one or the other. Uh-uh, not with God. It's both happening at the same time. It's God's sovereignty overall. It's his providence zooming in on the details. It's God seeing the big picture and the details. It's God seeing the universe 
and the smallest molecular structures. It's, it's God seeing the, uh, the plan, big plan of salvation. It's God seeing your salvation. It's God seeing uh, the nations, which, which the Bible says are just a drop in the bucket to God. It's God seeing the nations of the world. And it's God seeing one sparrow falling to the ground. I was reminded of a song the other day. Friday I was out walking the dog. And we come across this, thankfully the dog didn't see it, but this, uh, this dead cardinal, female cardinal in the backyard, just, you know, just laying there. So me and my obliviousness forgets all this, you know, this song uh, that I'm referring to is those of you that grew up by, with, with Pax the Pirate, you know, Ron Hamilton, okay? Well, he wrote this song. Uh, one little sparrow falls to the ground. No one can see because no one's around. Lonely and scared, that'll never be found. Lost in a world so big. Yet there is one who sees sparrows fall. God, our creator, sees them all. Watches each tiny sparrow fly. And when it falls to the earth, he hears their cry. God cares for sparrows, then God cares for me. I'll trust him to guide me and safe I will be. Nothing will happen that he has not planned. But just like the sparrow, I'm safe in his hands. We apply God's providence and sovereignty right down to the smallest level. Uh, God is present. I should, have, I should have been thinking, okay, wow, this is a sacred moment the other day when I'm kind of scoop up this, this bird and I'm disgusted and, and the maggots are there. And I'm, but I should have been thinking, wow, God is, is observing this, this event right now. The Bible says in Matthew that he watches, he knows when every sparrow falls to the ground. So you, you want to think about that, how big God is, how big the universe is. But no, God thinks about the sparrow. So surely I come in, I fall in the middle of that. All right, so uh, let's talk now about how this would apply to the book of Esther. So we're going to apply that camera lens to the book of Esther from the, the, the zoom lens or the, the, the uh, panoramic lens to the zoom lens at the same time. It, we can, you can see it in the book. You don't actually read about it, but it is, uh, has to be visible. So the big picture, the book of Esther. Let me give you a little history. Jason likes history. I like history. This is uh, going back about 60 years before the book of Esther starts, five, six, 536 B.C. The Bible says that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So we're seeing God's providence work. This, the king of Persia, Cyrus, God uh, moves his heart. The Bible says God can move the hearts of leaders. God moves his heart to send uh, Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And this is, of course, after, uh, remember, Daniel's vision of the, you know, the statue with the head of gold and the silver and the bronze and the legs. This is after that. So uh, 20 years later, in 516, the temple is rebuilt and finished. In 490, now this may not seem important, but this is, Darius, king of Persia, before Ahasuerus, the, the king in Esther, he is defeated by the Greeks at Marathon. So Darius has, is trying to expand the empire of Persia. He goes towards Greece, uh, towards Europe, but he's defeated at the Battle of Marathon. Now that, you, you may think, okay, what has this to do with Esther? Well, this is, this is really important because this is kind of like God's provident hand absolutely keeping Western Europe from becoming... Uh, like the Eastern empires of 
tyrannical despots. This is keeping a Western society and democracy from which eventually Christianity will come out of preserved. This is God's providence at work in the Battle of Marathon. That's where 10,000 Greeks defeated thousands and thousands of Persians in, in one battle. So it was significant. Now, in moving on to 482, Ahasuerus, who in history is called Xerxes, uh, he's kind of trying to go back and, and, uh, and uh, revenge Persia, if you will. So he's, gonna, he's putting together this, this huge army. Uh, and he prepares his men. Historians believe this is what was going on. He was preparing his men for this, this campaign into avenge Persia and Greece with this huge party. That's lasting for 180 days. I don't, I don't know how in the world he's thinking that we're going to prepare his men to go fight this battle. But 180 days, six months long. This is where the book of Esther begins. You got this party going on for six months. And uh, this is where you have uh, the king in towards the end of this party. He wants his queen, his beautiful queen, Vashti, to come out and, you know, to pray her before all these men. And the queen uh, rightly, you know, says, no way, Jose, I am not coming out before all these drunken, you know, men and parade myself and, and belittle myself before all these men. Of course, the king is greatly offended and all his cronies get together and they decide we have to set an example uh, with Vashti so that all the other women of the, of the empire don't rise up. And so that they decreed that she will not be queen anymore and there's going to be a new queen and they start this Miss Persia pageant. It goes on for, you know, four years. And all the beautiful girls are coming together, and the queen is going to choose uh, the next, the king is going to choose the next queen. Now, part of the reason why this lasts for four years is because during this time, Ahasuerus, Xerxes, takes 100,000 men, and he heads back to Greece to try to uh, avenge the defeat of Darius. But this is where, if you've ever, you've heard about uh, Leonidas and the 300, if you've ever seen them, this is where that comes in, because Leonidas and the Spartans hold off uh, the Persians for 24 hours, but then they go on, the Persians end up going on in Athens, and they end up uh, defeating Athens, only to find that most of the people in Athens have fled to the island of Salamis, and so uh, Xerxes puts his navy towards Salamis, only to be defeated by the Athenians. Navy. Okay, and you're all bored by now, but I'm just trying to say that really this is the kind of the end of the Persian Empire here. It's the beginning of the end. So during this time, you have this Miss Persian pageant uh, taking place, and this is where Esther comes in. She's in this pageant, and she be, she's chosen, 478 B.C. If, and if you're in your Bible, turn to chapter 2. So the big picture then narrows down to now the providence to the zoom lens to Esther, this young Jewish queen, this young Jewish girl who God sets in place as queen. And we find in, in Esther chapter 2, verse uh, 16, verse chapter 2, 16. So Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus into his house royal in the 10th month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen uh, instead of Vashti. So we've got now the, hang on, i got to scroll down here. Jason's computer is not like mine at school, which I can just push a button and scroll down there, will you? Tell you, I'm, uh, there you go. 
I am technically challenged, but I'm learning. I did manage to put these slides together. Okay, so we've got the panoramic view is this. This is a verse from Numbers. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A savior is announced in Luke 2 by the angel, which is Christ the Lord. That's the panoramic view. That's the big picture. God has decreed that a savior would come out of the nation of Israel. Narrow that down to the zoom. In order to put that plan in place, preserve that plan, God places a girl uh, in, in position as queen to affect the preservation of his people. You got to remember that this whole plan, as we'll find out later, Haman, the, you know, the bad guy in this book of Esther, has, to, has worked out a plan where all the Jews are going to be destroyed. That's all the Jews in the Shushan, the palace there, and all the Jews that have already gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild. The, 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 the decree the king puts out, this guy, Ahasuerus, is a, is a piece of work, but we won't talk about him today. He's not one, ladies, you want to take home to your, to your mom and dad and say, oh, look what I found. No, he is not. All right, so you've got this uh, plan that God has set in place. There will be a savior. It's going to happen. It, there's no way around it. But then you have this satanic plan where, where, where they're going to try to wipe out all the Jews from whom the Savior would come. And now you have down to the providence level where the, the zoom lens, one little girl, is now in place to disrupt this whole plan, all right, to, to be the preserver of this plan that God has worked out. Uh, so let's, let's see how we can might apply this uh, camera lens to, to your life, to my life. All right, because obviously, uh, you know, we talk about God being sovereign, and that's really a big thing. And if you dwell on that thing too long, it's kind of like uh, Psalm 8, where David's, you know, he's looking at the stars in the sky, and he's saying, oh, uh, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And if you think about this too long, you just blow up your mind. But I think we could bring it down to make it where it might help us. So consider a couple things. Number one, God is sovereign regardless. Whether you know it or I know it, whether you remember it or you, I remember it, whether we believe it or not, God is sovereign. There is no one greater. There is nothing greater. Uh, it, it's, he's sovereign whether I acknowledge it or not. He's sovereign regardless of me. God is not sovereign because of me or you, because of anything you do or I do. God is just sovereign. He is. So don't get the feeling, oh, I got to do this or this or this, so God say sovereign. No, God is sovereign. I mean, that's just the way it is. And God has decreed life, and God has ordained life, and God is all about uh, preserving life. All right, so um, it's like breathing. God's sovereignty. We don't, we don't have to remember to breathe, right? We don't have to uh, remind ourselves. We don't have to set an alarm on our phone. Oh, breathe. You better breathe. No, God, we just breathe. God is sovereign because God is sovereign. God is God. God is sovereign. So, I mean, that's big picture. He ordained life. He created life. A universe sustained life. Man to live with God. Man to live again after sin. Life to be preserved. So the wide angle is God wants all to live. Right? Bible says God's not willing that any should perish. That's the wide angle. Zoom lens. Zoom lens. God wants you to live. God wanted to preserve your life. God wanted to save you. So you go from wide to zoom. Let's talk about how to, uh, something else. As far as the providence of God. 
God's providence is in the preservation business. God is all about preserving life. He, he created this universe to sustain life, yes? He created the world to sustain life. Now, sin has kind of messed things up a little bit, but everything works together to sustain life. Everything out there uh, is fighting to survive, to live, because God programmed us to live. Sin is what killed us and, and is killing us, but we are programmed to live. And God's providence, he's working out the details of your preservation, your life. He's working around you. He's working in you. He's working through you. God is preserving life. And uh, there's always this big picture and this zoom lens going on. God's providence is the present business. He has decreed life. He preserves life. Earth was part of God's preservation business. We are part of God's preservation business. Esther was part of God's preservation business. She was the one who God had positioned in place to help preserve Israel. Now, God is, is positioning you and I in the world to help preserve life. What, is, what did Jesus say? He said, ye are the salt of the world, right? You're the salt of the world. Salt is a preservation thing. Salt is all about, yes, it's taste, food, but it's you, a lot of times used for pres preserving things. When they didn't have, uh, you know, refrigeration, they salt it all and you, you, they would preserve it. So you and I are part of the preservation in this world. Right now, you and I are part of sustaining life in this world. Even, even by the fact that God's spirit is in you, God's spirit is in you, and it's that spirit right now that is, that is keeping the spirit of lawlessness, the spirit of Antichrist, from, from taking over. It's you and I being out in the world with the spirit in us. So don't ever think, okay, I'm not important. Yes, you're absolutely important to this whole big picture. Just your presence in the world. You being uh, salt. You being able to, uh, to help others. You being able to influence others. You being able just to carry around the spirit of God in this world is huge. So you are part of preserving life throughout this world. Uh, let's think one more other thing. How we, how we might use God's camera lens to help our focus. Obviously, you and I are not sovereign. We are not control everything, even though we might like to, and we might want to, and it frustrates us when we're not. We, we, we obviously realize we are not, but I think there's a way that you and I can take God's sovereignty and use this camera lens to help our focus and help us deal with life. There are times in life, I, I know, even my say, even this year, 2020, oh, my word, 2020, You've got everything going on. You've got, of course, you've got now the election coming up. You've had coronavirus. You've had riots. You've had uh, all this other thing going on. Put that all on top of your, your own life, what's going on in your life. You've got classes, and you've got tests coming up. You've got projects. You've got assignments. You've got uh, health issues. You've got finances. You've got the car as a flat tire. You've got, uh, you know, all these things, family, relationship issues. You've got all these things going on, and the big picture is going to be like, oh, overwhelming. And you're like, if you want to think, you're going to explode. And at that point, you need to apply the camera lens. Because right there, you're stuck in the, the wide-angle lens right there. And you need, to, you need to click that button and get that zoom. Come down to zoom in. Come, get more down to zoom lens. And look unto Jesus, the Bible says. Look unto Jesus and start remembering 
Go back to that first song you learned, Jesus loves me. Just go back to that song and keep remembering Jesus loves me. Uh, uh, every day, every hour, no matter what, good, bad, and the ugly, Jesus loves me. My, my failures, my faults, uh, my successes, uh, Jesus loves me. Just, just keep coming. When everything gets, like you got to zoom it in. What was the Bible saying in Hebrew? It says, wherefore, seeing we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, let us lay aside every weight and sin with such lazy beside us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So, so bring that camera lens, zoom it down to Jesus. And then there are other times in our life where, you know, it's like we get blinders on, and all we can see is this one thing that's going on, this, this one problem, this, this one person, this one event, this one situation, this one thing that was said to me, this, this one particular thing, and it just grinds on you, grates on you, and irritates you, and you just can't get it, you just can't get past it. That's where you need to widen the lens. Get back to the big picture. All right. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, seated on the throne. He's on the throne. He's working. He's preparing a place for you. That's what the Bible said, right? He's preparing a place for you. And when it's ready, he's going to come back and get you. He's going to take you to heaven. He's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to rule on earth for a thousand years. New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, no more tears, no more night. Eternity. Widen that angle out. Get your eyes off that one little thing and get the picture, you know, into wide-angle lens, panoramic lens for a little bit. Get yourself calmed down. And then maybe come back somewhere in the middle and start looking around and see, okay, well, maybe there's some other people that are struggling with their lens. Maybe somebody else I can help that, you know, needs a little bit of an encouragement or some empathy or some uh, compassion, some way to help get this thing uh, to help get the lens focused. There's nothing, nothing worse than when you're, you're, you're trying to see and, and your eyes just can't focus and you can't, right? So you, you got to use God's sovereignty, God's providence, how he, he's overall, nothing could change that. God, nothing is going to change that. You know, we, we mistakenly get the idea, okay, in this corner, weighing in at... There's God. In this corner is Satan. It's, that is not how it is at all. God is, is over everything, including Satan. Satan. We're going to be surprised one day, the Bible says, at how puny and small he is. We're going to see him and say, that's what was causing all this issue. So don't worry about that. You just got to keep the big picture in mind and then see how God's going to work out the details of his providence in your life. Our purpose. We're going to be salt. We're going to be light. The details of that purpose will get revealed in time. I'm sure Esther did not plan to be the one when she entered that Miss Persia pageant to be the one that was going to have to save her people one day. She did not see that coming. Now, thankfully, there was Mordecai, or Mordecai, however you say it, Cousin M. He was cousin. Cousin M could realize that, all right, Esther, come on, Esther. God's going to send a savior from somewhere because God's going to preserve every this race. It, it may as well be you. All right? Esther, Mordecai could at least see what the vision. So thank, thankful for people like Mordecai that can see the big picture and help others to, to, to hone in on that. So as we, this first screen that we looked at today, the sovereignty of God narrowed right down to Esther. 
Well, I would encourage you to put your name right under hers. See how the sovereignty of God uh, is going to come right down to you, to your left, to you. And, you know, when you get right down to it, that's huge. Don't ever think I'm insignificant. Look what Esther did. Esther saved, saved the plan of salvation going forward. God has got purposes for all of us, for you. I'm, I'm looking at it right now and saying, okay, marriages and children and jobs and families and who knows whatever sitting here in front of me. Man, you, you, you think the big picture, but then don't forget to zoom it in on God. Let him help you. Let him reveal all the details. Don't stress over the details. We get stressed over all the details. That, look, I would never, it, it, 30, whatever years ago, imagine being here in, in uh, Theodore, Alabama. If you told me I'd end up in Theodore, Alabama, me, a Yankee, uh, a northerner, being in southern Alabama, I said, okay, right. No, well, here I am. God worked that all out. I did not plan this. I did not. And our lesson talked about how God zigzags things around in your life. You've probably already seen that in your life. How God has zigzagged your life to get to you where you are right now. Well, that's the way God works. And God intersects people and paths and events and things. And it ends up being this whole big picture of, of God working out his plan. So don't stress over the details. Let God work that all out. But just remember, God is sovereign. God's providence is going to work in your life. And it's going to be good. Just, just keep using that, that camera lens, that zoom, wide-angle, zoom. Unfortunately, we can only do one or the other. Wide-angle, zoom. God, God's both way, both lenses at the same time. That's why he's God. We don't operate like that. So we've got to make it on purpose and a point to, okay, I better zoom it out today. I better widen it out. Oh, no, today I better zoom it in. I'm feeling stressed. All right, so just use that camera lens, and God, I think that will, that will help us all. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for how you reveal yourself to us and, and how you use your word to help us and um, how you're working in our lives, even when we don't realize it, but help us to trust that, yes, you are working and uh, everything will be according to your plan. And we just need to follow along and, and to enjoy the road. We pray in your name. Amen.